All right. We are, like I said, we're wrapping up our Advent series. If you don't know what Advent means, again, it just means arrival. And so Advent in the church is a part of the church calendar where we celebrate the arrival of Jesus, the arrival of God in the flesh on earth. And so that's what we do each year. We, We take this time, we take three or four weeks to celebrate Advent, to think about what God has done for us, and we anticipate what he will do. We have a, an aching hope of, about what he will do for us one day. And so this year, how we've decided to celebrate Advent is we've looked at the synoptic gospels. So those are the three gospels that are not John, and how they introduce Jesus. And we've called this series Welcoming the King. And so we're taking time to look at how each one of these authors of the Synoptic Gospels welcomes King Jesus into the world. The way they introduce him, the way they talk about him, what they say about him. And then we have gotten to know Jesus more through looking at these introductions. And we've even said, hey, what does it mean for us to welcome Jesus more deeply into our lives? Because there's always a part of our heart that could be more submitted to Christ. And so that's what we've done this Advent season. We've taken some time to see how each of these Gospels welcomes Jesus. So uh, I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this. There are all kinds of leaders in the world, and sometimes certain leaders bring something with their leadership, right? Whereas other leaders kind of just lead, but there, there are certain leaders that bring things along with them. And maybe that doesn't make sense, but maybe this will make a little bit more sense. I, halfway through high school, uh, we got a new youth pastor at, at my church. And what I began to see was that this youth pastor, his name's Cameron, he brought things with his leadership. Like he didn't just lead or just put on events, which those are good things and good for us, but he brought qualities, he brought things into my life with his leadership. So one of the things he did right away that I still to this day I'm surprised he did is he decided to meet with a bunch of the teens in the youth group. So he, he, he just said, hey, let me have a one-on-one meet with you. Let me ask you questions about the youth group. Let me ask you questions about yourself. Let me help you, like, help me understand what this youth group is like. And, and so right away what I saw was Cameron was bringing, like, just considering us teens along with his leadership. I don't know if you know this, adults, but a lot of times once you hit about, I don't know, anything over 20, you stop, you're just like, I will not, I don't care what teens think. I don't care what they feel. And a lot of times as parents, when we have teens, we got, we got to be careful because we're just like, I don't care what you think. And so it was kind of revolutionary that this youth pastor, along with his leadership, was bringing consideration of us teens. And I'm sure we were saying stuff that didn't matter or was confusing or wasn't even true. And yet he still wanted to consider us. He also he didn't just bring that. He brought discipleship with him, with his leadership. The way he led brought discipleship with him. So before, it kind of felt like, you know, uh, I think discipleship was there and discipleship was a goal. But it felt like, you know, hey, let's go to this event. Let's love Jesus as much as we can. But actually being formed into looking like Jesus wasn't really a, a, a part of my life until Cameron brought that along with his leadership. He brought, he would challenge us. He would, he would challenge us to be more like Jesus, to submit our lives more like Jesus. There were all sorts of things that Cameron brought with his leadership. And I just noticed that. And even all these years later, I'm still 
in a, in a relationship with him. He's still a mentor in my life. He still loves me. He'll check in on me. And so even all these years later, he brings love it, with his leadership. So why I bring all that up is Jesus is the sort of king that brings things with his leadership. He's not just a king that just leads for the sake of leading, but he brings things along with him. And so today, as we look at how Mark welcomes the king, we're going to see that Jesus bring thi brings things along with his kingship that's good for us. And so this is what we're going to see today. We're going to see three things that, that Jesus brings with his leadership. The first thing is this. Jesus is going to bring the name Yahweh with his kingship. The second thing is this. He brings comfort with his leadership. And then the third thing is he brings glory with his leadership. So let's hop into Mark chapter 1 and we'll see how Mark begins to introduce Jesus, our king. There's a napkin in my Bible I got to throw over here. <laughs> All right, so Mark chapter 1, we're going to read the first three verses. You can bring them up on your phones at home. I know you all are open to the word already at home in your living rooms, but here's what it says, verse 1 of chapter 1 of Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So right out the gate, Mark, how he wants to introduce Jesus, how he wants to welcome the king, is he quotes John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is quoting Isaiah when he says that. And so actually today, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Isaiah 40 to see why Mark and why John the Baptist quoted Isaiah. Because whoever Isaiah is talking about in this passage, that's who they think Jesus is. And so we have to flesh out and see who Isaiah says that Jesus is because that's who Mark and John the Baptist were quoting in order to show us who our King Jesus is. Is, okay, And so we're going to go to Isaiah chapter 40. I just played an old preacher's trick on you. You don't know this preacher's trick because I usually don't tell you guys my preacher's trick. It's you go to the New Testament that quotes the Old Testament so you can preach out of the Old Testament. And so that's what I'm doing today. And so we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to be in the first five verses of Isaiah chapter 40. So you can turn there or go there right now. I'm going to begin to read this, and Isaiah chapter 40 is going to help us to see who Jesus is and the sort of leadership he brings, the sort of things he brings with his kingship, okay? Isaiah chapter 40 verse 1 says this, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. 
The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So, one of the first things that we see Jesus bring with his kingship is the name Yahweh, which means that Jesus is Israel's God. Okay, you have to notice something that both Mark and Isaiah are doing here. So Isaiah, well, let's say this. Mark says that Jesus is this Lord that Isaiah is talking about. When you go back to Isaiah chapter 40 and you look at this term Lord, you'll notice it's a capital L-O-R-D. Whenever you see that in the Old Testament, you guys know this, that means Yahweh. In the Old Testament, there are all sorts of names and titles given for God. But when you see L-O-R-D capitalized like that, that means Yahweh. And that was God's personal name that he gave himself. So when people were like, who are you exactly? He would say, I'm Yahweh. We translate it that way for a variety of reasons that we can't get into here now. But Mark is saying that the Lord, Yahweh, that Isaiah is talking about, Israel's God, the God who created everything, Jesus is him. That's what Mark is saying. We can't miss that here, that Jesus is Israel's God. This is significant. So that means Jesus is not just some guy. He's not just some super saint. He's not just a really good king or a really good leader. But he is Yahweh in the flesh. This is significant because we should know that when Mark says that, that the people of Israel in that day should then know who Jesus is. This is an astonishing claim for Mark to make right out the gate about Jesus. Jesus is God. A lot of times we try, again, we try, the world tries to say, God, the, the gospel, they, they never said Jesus was God. No, they did. Jesus is Israel's God. So Israel should have been, their ears should have perked up when they heard this. Our ears should perk up too, because what this means is when we read the Old Testament, we can get to know Jesus better. If Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh, then we can stop divorcing the Old Testament from our faith. I think it's a little bit common for us as Christians to kind of ignore the Old Testament, to throw it out. Like, like in all honesty, I'm reading Ezekiel right now in my daily readings, and I kind of like, maybe I shouldn't right now. Like there's a, a thought in the back of my head that goes there because, because I believe some of the lies of our day that say, the God of the Old Testament's different than the God of the New Testament. And that's just simply not true. Jesus is Israel's God. And so as we read our Old Testaments, we actually get to know Jesus better. One of the earliest heresies in the church was this, was, was, was a guy going around saying, the Old Testament God different than Jesus. Totally different. Total, and the early church said, no, that's a heresy. That's completely wrong. And so Jesus brings along with his leadership the name Yahweh. And I feel like too often we forget that. 
Jesus is Yahweh, creator God in the flesh. And that is astounding. That's why we take every Advent season to celebrate that idea, to think about that idea, to let that idea form us. It is a big deal that the creator God took on flesh to be with us. Okay, so Jesus brings the name Yahweh with his leadership. The second thing that Jesus brings along with his kingship is comfort. Right, we saw Isaiah 40 opens with this call to God, just saying to Isaiah, comfort my people with these words. There's a few significant things here that that we need to see about the sort of comfort that that God offers, that Jesus offers. The first is this, and I'm going to read a quote from Pastor Duke Kwan. I I read a, a different quote by him a few weeks ago. I've been really liking some of his thoughts this Advent season. But he says this, and this will help us to see the sort of comfort that Jesus brings. Make no mistake. The Lord extends comfort even to those whose suffering is of their own making. So gracious and tender is our God. The people of Israel that Isaiah was speaking to were suffering because of their own sin. Here's what I mean. God had a special and a unique relationship with them at that time, with the people of Israel at that time. And he said, listen, part of our relationship is you have to follow me. You have to follow my covenants. You have to choose not to worship other gods. You have to choose not to do evil. And if you don't do those things, if you choose to worship other gods, if you choose to do evil, I'm going to allow other nations to come in and oppress you. I'm going to allow them to come in so that you're disciplined. This was a unique thing, remember, that God was doing in that time and place. And so when we get to the people of God in Isaiah, that's exactly what's happened. They chose other gods. They worshiped other gods. They chose to do evil. And so God let other nations come in and oppress and conquer Israel because of their sin. And yet God... Yet God, in Isaiah chapter 40, says, comfort my people. Yeah, even though they brought this upon themselves, comfort them. Comfort them. And I, I don't know, I, who is our God? I don't know if we quite understand the, the gravity of this. God is so different than us. God is so different than me. My wife, I don't know, a, a few months ago or last year at some point, she, she called me out for something that, that I think just highlights how different I am from God in this respect. Our kids, a lot of times they get hurt. You know, they fall off something. And a lot of times it's because they were, they, they were doing something they shouldn't have been doing, right? And so when that happens, they, you know, they fall off uh, like something and they're crying uh, I didn't know I was doing this till my wife pointed out. Well, a lot of times what I do is I come over to them and instead of comfort them and hug them in their tears, I go, man, you probably, you probably shouldn't have been balancing on the baby gate while having a tea party. Like, that's just like not what you should have been doing, right? And like right away, that's like what I, I'm just like, here's the lesson we've learned from why you got hurt. And my wife was like, one time when I was doing that, I don't know what I was saying, but I was just like, hey, you shouldn't do this, and that's why you got hurt. My wife was like, why do you do that? <laughs> like, like you're, she's two. 
<laughs> like just comfort her, give her a hug. And I, I know why I do it. It's because I'm ungodly. Because <laughs> I'm not like God. Because I see someone that does something that they're, and has consequences for their actions, and I go, you deserve it. And yet God goes, I want to comfort my people, even if they don't deserve it. That's how gracious and tender God's comfort of us is. That's who our God is. That's who Mark believed Jesus to be. That's who Jesus is. And so God wants to bring us comfort whether we deserve it or not. That's the sort of tender and gracious father that he is. And then through this passage in Isaiah, we see the sort of comfort that he wants to bring. Verse 2 says that God wants to end Israel's warfare. He wants to end the warfare that's happening. He wants to end war. That means that Jesus is the sort of king that brings peace with him. That the sort of comfort he brings is not just giving us a hug, but he wants to stop the pain. He wants to stop the conflict. He wants to stop the war. That's the sort of king that we have in Jesus. Jesus is the sort of king, when he comes back in his fullness one day, he will end all conflict. He will end all strife. He will end all war. Because our king is a comforter. And he comforts through bringing peace. Is there, is there pain and suffering in your life because of other people? Is there pain and suffering in your life because of hardships or conflicts? What Isaiah says is King Jesus will comfort you by stopping those things one day. By bringing peace. The message of Advent, the message of the arrival of Yahweh in the flesh is Jesus, the God King, has come to put an end to all that stuff. One day Jesus is going to stop all war. He is going to stop all strife. And he is going to stop all hardship. And so celebrating Advent every year reminds us to have a hopeful aching that he will do what he says he will do because he's done what he said he was going to do. And even a watchful waiting for Jesus as we wait for Jesus to return. But even as we wait, we get to participate in God's work here and now, ending strife, conflict, war, pain, here and now. That's who King Jesus is. That's the sort of things he brings with his leadership. He, he wants to comfort us in another, another way as well. It says that he wants to pardon our iniquity. That that is a way that Jesus wants to comfort us. Is that, that he wants to pardon our iniquity. Iniquity in Isaiah is, is a funny word. If you see iniquity in the Bible, it's one of a few different words that's used for sin. You're getting, you're getting a little bit of a Hebrew lesson today at church. But iniquity is this 
is this particular facet of sin, as the Hebrew authors uh, pointed to, where iniquity itself meant crooked or bent, or you might see it translated like wicked. And so the idea of iniquity is this idea of you are just so messed up up as a person, you're so broken, you're so bent as a person, but you that you just can't help but sin. That's what iniquity points to. It points to a bit more than that, but that, that's kind of briefly what iniquity points to, right? Not only that, when iniquity is used in Isaiah and other places, a lot of times it's kind of used in this way to say, hey, when you have iniquity, when you're so bent, you're going to go a certain direction and you're going to bring consequences because of your sin. Like you're going to do things that, that bring pain into your life because it's your sin that you're doing. And by sinning, you're going to just bring more and more pain into your life. And so it kind of harkens back to what we were talking about earlier with when I see my kids facing the consequences of their action. Iniquity is often speaking to this reality that... that People are facing the consequences of their sin. And yet, God says, I want to pardon you from that. God says, yes, you brought iniquity on yourself. Yes, you're making the world a worse place because of your iniquity. And yes, you're experiencing the consequences of your iniquity, like you deserve it even. And yet God says, but I want to pardon you of all that. In the Old Testament, this is a big picture of God's forgiveness. Is God pardoning us from our iniquity? In the Old Testament, this picture is, is someone coming along and the burden of sin that is on us and lifting that burden up. And so in the Old Testament, when it says God forgives us or pardon us, pardons us from our iniquity, it's saying we have a God who is strong enough to lift up the weight of our sin off of our backs and carry it and bear the weight himself for us. This is a picture of what God's forgiveness of us is like. It's God bearing the weight of our sin for us, in his power, in his strength, so that we don't have to. Do we deserve the pardoning? Not at all. Does God want to comfort us by giving us that pardoning? Yes. That's the sort of God he is. That's the sort of father that he is. Does, this, does the weight of your sin crush you? Does the weight of your sin crush you? We've kind of... We kind of live in this time and place where anything that feels yucky to us or feels bad or makes us feel bad, we say, that can't be truth. But the reality of sin in this world is it should make you feel bad. The weight of your sin should make you feel like you're being crushed. But Jesus, in his kingship, what he brings with him is strength to lift that up off of you. And so part of the good news of the gospel is you don't have to just sit under that weight. You don't have to just keep feeling bad because Jesus in his kingship is the sort of king that pardons our iniquity and lifts it up off of us and puts the weight on himself. That's who Jesus is. That's the sort of comfort 
that comes with Jesus' kingship. And so we see all sorts of ways that, that Jesus, with his kingship, brings comfort and will bring ultimate and lasting comfort one day as well. Okay, so so far we've seen uh, Jesus brings the name Yahweh with his kingship and he brings comfort with his kingship. But now let's look at how he brings glory with his kingship. I'm going to reread verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 40. It says this, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. So when this Yahweh in the flesh comes, and they prepare the way, when that Yahweh comes, he also will bring glory with him. And everybody is going to see that glory. So Jesus, our king, brings glory with him. But what is glory then? And this is a very deep word throughout the Bible. And so I'm going to give you a, a bit of it, but there's even more that could be expanded outside of this conversation. Glory, I think, the best way to first begin to define it is to see how Moses interacted with this word. Moses, who God used to, to bring the, the people of God out of Egypt. At some point, he's having a conversation with God about all kinds of stuff. And, and, and something Moses asks God in the midst of that conversation is he just says something along the lines of, God, please show me your glory. And God's response to Moses is, listen, you can't see this. You can't handle it. If you saw it, you, you'd be done. You, you, you can't handle it. But, but I think God likes that, that Moses wants to see his glory. So, so he says, Moses, listen, I'm going to stuff you in the crack of a mountain. And I'm going to walk by. My glory is going to go by you. But I, I can't let you see the face of my glory, but I'll let you see the back of my glory. And so this happens. And, and, and through these conversations, and after this point, when, when, when Moses sees the glory of God, it says that he came down the mountain and his face was literally shining. That begins to help us to see what God's glory is. But what, what, is, it, what, is, it, what, is, what is its literal meaning in the Hebrew? Well, in, in the Hebrew, that word glory is kavod. Kavod. Again, you're getting some Hebrew lessons today. And kavod, or glory in the Hebrew, it literally means weight. Like it, ha it literally means weight, like a physical weight. But it didn't also mean that. It also metaphorically meant something of significance, something of, of very weighty significance. Like we actually, in English, use this word similarly at times. Is uh, Like someone tells you a very heart-wrenching story, you're going to go, man, that is so heavy. That is, that man, that's been weighing on me. Like, we'll say things like that. Uh, the Hebrew people used kavod, glory, in this same sort of way. That, that man, that, that story has significance. That story is weighing on me. But it was also used uh, when someone maybe saw a king or a powerful person or a rich person. If they'd go to their estate or, and see, like, a lot of livestock or a lot of their riches or a lot of their wealth, they might point to those things and say, those are this person's kavod. Those things are this person. This livestock is this person's glory. And so when we see glory in, in the Old Testament, and when we see it here in Isaiah, what Isaiah is saying is that when that Lord comes, 
that we prepared the way for, that John the Baptist really prepared the way for, when that Lord comes, you're going to see his weightiness. You're going to see his significance. You're going to see why he matters. And all people are going to see the glory, the kavod of the Lord. And so Isaiah and Mark, along with Isaiah, are pointing to Jesus and saying, seeing him is a way to see God's glory unlike it's ever been shown before. If you want to see the weightiness of God, the significance of God, Isaiah and Mark say, look to Jesus. Look at Jesus. How many of us so badly, Christian or not, want to just see God? Want to say what Moses said, show me your glory. Isaiah and Mark both tell us the best way to see it right now is to look at Jesus. To look at Jesus. If you want to see God, look at him. And you might sound like my daughter did a few years ago where she said, can I see a picture of Jesus? Can you show me a picture? You talk about this guy a lot. Where is he, right? Like this is what she was asking. And what I have to tell her too is through the Spirit, now we can see Jesus as well. Through the working of the Spirit. If you think that sounds crazy, if you go to Galatians and read how Paul talks about the Galatians seeing Jesus, they didn't physically see them. The Spirit had done something in them to cause them to live as if they had seen Jesus. Because in a sense they had. Because they had seen the glory of God on earth. It's a mysterious thing how the Spirit works, but this is how the Spirit works. He helps us to see who Jesus is. And so if you want to see who God is, whomever you are, if you want to see his glory, his weightiness, his significance, go to the Gospels, read about Jesus. But we learned today you can even go to the Old Testament and read about Jesus because Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. Go to the rest of the New Testament and see how they experienced and talked about the glory of Jesus. Because they had seen it. That's how we see the weightiness of God. That's the sort of, that's another thing that our King Jesus brings with him. Glory. The significance of God along with him. Jesus, our King, Yahweh, the one who can bring everlasting comfort and forgiveness, also brings glory. A lot of times we come to church, if, you're, if you ever teach or you're a preacher, what happens is people, sometimes they like to come up to you and tell you the kind of sermons that they like to hear. And uh, I feel bad when I hear this one because a lot of people go, you know, the sermons I really like that you guys say are the sermons that, that have an application point, that say, uh, do this. Like, you preach through something, and you're like, do this in your real life, or do that. And listen, I love preaching those sermons, and I like to preach those sermons. And throughout God's Word, there are places where we preach things like that. But a lot of times, the point of God's Word is not to do this, but just look at Him. 
And so for those of you that really want an application point, here's my application point for today. Look at Jesus. Look at him. Look at him for who he is. Look at him for, for all that God's word says that he is. See him for who he is. And then maybe in this Advent season, the weightiness of his arrival on earth will stir worship in us. Will stir hope in us. Will stir, stir deep joy in us. If we look at Jesus. I think it's been funny. The, one of the ironies of this series, it's called Welcoming the King. And so we've spent a lot of time just looking at Jesus, seeing who he is, and, and saying, how do we welcome him more deeply into our life? How did his first followers welcome him in their gospels? But the irony about that is the gospel, the good news that King Jesus has come to save and redeem all of his creation, that good news uh, is not a story about us welcoming the king into our life. It's actually a story about a king welcoming us into his kingdom. And we could almost call this series The King Welcomes Us because that's the good news of the gospel. Is be, Even though you have iniquity, even though you have this weight on you that you feel and can't lift yourself, even though you face consequences for your sin, even though this world is messed up, even though there's war that you can't control, even though there's all of these horrible, horrible things and we cry out for comfort, the good news of the gospel is we don't have to ascend in order to reach God, is that God descended to us in order to reach us, in order to welcome us into his kingdom. And out of that is what, where worship comes from in our hearts. Not from us just realizing it and going that way, although I think we need to realize these things. But we have King Jesus who has come to earth to welcome us into his kingdom and he can bear the weight of our sin and forgive our sin because he lived perfectly, because he died on the cross for our sins, and because he resurrected from the dead, triumphing over sin and death. That's why he can give us all these things, because he did all those things. He's not all talk. He's also walk. And that's who our King Jesus is. He brings all sorts of things with his kingship. And my hope for us over the last few weeks is that we got to know King Jesus more, that we got to see him more, and that we would see that he's a king that's welcomed us into his kingdom. Church, may we be that people that have seen Jesus for who he is. Let's pray. God, thank you for, thank you for you. The greatest gift you've given us is yourself. <laughs> I don't know if we can really understand the weight of the fact that you have given us yourself, that you want to be our king, that you are in relationship with us. God, help us to understand the weight of that and let it increase our worship of you that increase our love of you. God, for those who might be watching this and go, man, that feels far from me. I think that could be true, but it feels far from me. God, would you draw close to them and give them eyes through the Spirit 
like you gave eyes to the Galatians to see who you are. God, help us to worship you more, love you more, know you more. And in this Advent season, help it to be a thing each year that reminds us how deeply we are loved by you. How deeply we can hope in you. How truly peace will come one day. God, thank you for being our king. May it be so for our church that you are king and ruler over each and every one of our lives. We love you, Lord. Amen.